0: I've delivered us to. And I pray that that God would help me to bring us to that spot because we're going to come back here in just a a little bit. But um, we're going to go ahead and dismiss our children. Thank you, worship team, uh, for leading us today. For those of you that uh, maybe are visiting with us, we are uh, in a series going through the book of Hebrews. And uh, I don't always wear a t shirt to church. But uh, I've been using it as an illustration to remind us that we are sons and daughters of God. We are superheroes because of who is inside of us. Uh, And this is probably the last day for the t shirt. Some of you are glad. Some of you maybe want the t shirt to stick around. Elijah asked me today if I was Superman. And I said, No, I'm not Superman. And he said, But you have Superman on your shirt. I said, You are correct. I have Superman on my shirt. But uh, I'm not Superman, but I have Jesus in me, and so he knows Superman, and he knows Jesus because he loves the story of David and Goliath, so he knows what it is to be a Superman, although he always wants to play the giant, so we got to get him to be David <clears throat> because it's way cooler to be David than the giant. Um, we are in part 21 of this series going through the book of Hebrews, and um I'll admit, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and you are going to, that's going to be very apparent to you as we go through uh, the day today because he talks about racing. And uh, I don't know a lot of things, but I do know some things about racing. And so uh, it just fits who I am, and I understand it so well. And I, I want to use that to hopefully make it a little bit clearer to you. Uh, and then again, I want to bring us back to that idea of intimacy with our Father and how desperately we need that above all else. And so. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. This is a letter that was written to Hebrews, to Jewish Christians, um, that. By nationality they are Hebrews And so they had turned from the old covenant They had turned from the worship of God The way they knew it To faith in Jesus the way we know it But as a result of that They were being persecuted They were being hunted down They were being stolen from uh, Their lives were in turmoil They literally were being persecuted I know here in America We say a lot of things are persecution But not so much um, But around the world The world is waking up to the fact That every day in our, in our world today Christians are being murdered for their faith. For no other reason other than they proclaim faith in Jesus Christ, they're losing their lives, they're losing their jobs, they're losing their families, Uh, they are being persecuted to a fuller extent than we understand. And there may come a time when we face those same things. And so the book of Hebrews is written to these people to remind them that the faith that they have put in Christ is a real faith. It's not something to turn back from. And he goes through the entire book comparing the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the New Covenant, and how this one is so far superior to the old covenant so don't turn back even though life has gotten hard or gotten difficult and then we come to Hebrews 11 and he starts listing off these men and women of faith these superheroes as we sometimes look at them but these men and women that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11 are not these people of great faith that we're just supposed to celebrate or idolize they're there to show us the kind of lives that you and I are supposed to live The same life of faith that they were called to live, you and I are called to live. And so the same difficulties that they face, the same personalities that they have, the same victories that they experience, are the same things that you and I are called to face. And the reason that all of these different people are listed is to remind us that in all of these different personalities, in all of these different circumstances, and in all of these different uh, goods and bad things, and good outcomes and bad outcomes, it's the reminder to us that God is always at work. He is always at work. So no matter where you are, no matter what you've been through, no matter how many times maybe you've messed up or other people have hurt you, God is always at work. And he's reminding them of this, and he comes to this point where he says, what we need now is patient endurance. And you're gonna hear that again today in Hebrews 12. And these are the four things, if you remember from the last uh, couple weeks when we were in Hebrews 11, these are the four things that he's calling us to. To remember there are better things waiting. In other words, loosen your grip on the things of this world. Let go of possessions, let go of relationships, let go of titles, let go of uh, accomplishments. Loosen your grip on the things of this world world if we don't do that we won't persevere the, the tighter we try to cling to the stuff of this life the harder it's going to be okay but if we learn to loosen our grip we're going to get there we remember our reward our reward comes from him our reward doesn't come from other people it doesn't come from things around us it comes from him we remember who we are we are sons and daughters of God and we remember what pleases him and what pleases him is faith you've got to get this in you that Our performance does not change our position before God ever, ever. My position before God is based solely on what Jesus did for me. Now, my performance is important, okay? I can't just live however I want to live because if I've truly accepted Christ, I've turned from that old life. But too many people can't, can't get past the fact that I just keep messing up and I can't go to God because, you know, I've done this or I've done that. And so they actually stay away from the very thing they need. And the enemy uses that to heap all kinds of guilt and condemnation on us. And so we've talked about faith revealed, we've talked about faith exposed, and today we're going to talk about faith personalized. We're going to put it into to our own lives and so in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 he starts with the word therefore so because of all of these people we've just talked about and all of these men and women of faith and how they acted in obedience to God therefore since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith here's what we do we strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. We run with endurance, remember endurance, the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame and now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne think of all of the hostility that he endured from sinful people and you won't become weary and give up after all you've not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin obviously if you're breathing in and out you haven't given your lives into your struggle against sin you've forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children are you ready? These are encouraging words for us as his children. My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as a child. I mean it's, it's like when you're a child and your parents as they are ready to spank you say this hurts me more than it hurts you. We're like that's not very encouraging, is it? <laughs> But yet, these are encouraging words. They don't feel encouraging, especially when you're in the throes of it. It doesn't feel encouraging. But how many of you know God's ways are higher than ours? And so we have got to start seeing things from his perspective and not ours. As you endure this divine discipline, remember God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means you're illegitimate and not really his children at all. Now it's getting more encouraging. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? Our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness, his character, his nature. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful, but afterward there will be a peaceful harvest of right living. See, not a peaceful harvest of money, not a peaceful harvest of healing, not a peaceful harvest of any blessing but a peaceful harvest of right living. Now those things can come, but right living is what he's looking for, for those who've been trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. So the writer of Hebrews starts by basically reminding us or telling us that, don't just read about these people in Hebrews 11 and be like, wow man, that's really great for them. He says every single one of us has a race that God has marked out for us. There is a plan, a purpose to every part of our lives, even when we don't understand it. In Jeremiah, we, I alluded to these during the dedication today. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. In Psalm 139, you may all the delicate inner parts of my body And you knit me together in my mother's womb You saw me before I was born Every day of my life is recorded in your book, and every moment was laid out before a single day has passed. And what he says is, God sees you, he knows you, and there's absolutely nothing that will ever come into your life or happen to you that can get you off the race that he has marked out for you if you just continue to endure, to be patient, to be trusting, to be steadfast, and you just keep running. Nowhere does he say it's going to be easy. Nowhere does he say that this is going to be fun all the time. But he says if you just stay with it, you will inherit a harvest of right living. It's important for us to understand. So I want to look at four things that he gives us. Four things. If we're going to run with perseverance or endurance, the race that's set in front of us, there's four things that we need to see and understand and walk out and live if we're going to endure. The first one is teamwork. He says that every one of us has an individual race that God has marked out for us. But what we have to understand is that there is still an interwovenness to our lives. If we go back to Hebrews chapter 11, where we ended up, these people that were talked about were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect meaning nothing in life is all about me. Every part of my life affects other people. If you look at Hebrews chapter 11, if these men and women had not been faithful to run their part of the race, you and I would not be here. God had a plan to bring about a Messiah that would die for the sins of the world but he needed the faithfulness of David and Abraham and Joseph and Jacob and Isaac and Sarah and Rahab the prostitute. He needed their faithfulness so that we could stand on their faithfulness. So even though you're running an individual race, every step that you take, every step that I take affects other people in our lives. And so when we look at our lives as just, well, what's in it for me? Or how is this affecting me? And we don't understand that God has so much more in in store for us than just me or just you. He's got nations. Nations. God doesn't want your life to just be about you. And so he's interwoven your race into the races of others so that together we can stand on what one another has done. As we talked about in our First Things First class today, you and I are sitting in this room today because of generations that have gone before us. These seats did not just appear out of nowhere. These seats are a testimony that years before us, somebody put their work, their money, their time, their effort into the kingdom of God right here. And we sit on their faithfulness. We cannot forget that. That is so important for us to remember. That it's not just about me. Others have gone before me and we live in this entitled generation where I'm just entitled to stuff. There, we've, we've lost this idea that we're connected to other people and it's not just about me and my rights. We have a responsibility especially to understand that we've been called to take and pass on to the next generation the faithfulness of God. And sometimes we have to, to, to plow some very hard ground spiritually and physically so that the next generation can stand where we've got to, our ceiling. They can stand on it and go from there. I mean, think of it, as, as, you, as you raised your children, you tried to keep them from the pitfalls you experienced. Maybe if you had a rough life or maybe you didn't have a lot of money, you tried to leave a legacy or a life for your children where they experienced something better than you. That happens in the physical realm, that happens in the spiritual realm, that's what we want. But what happens, the generation that stands on the last generation, if we lose sight of why we get to stand here we become entitled and we end up going back to the beginning. That's why God says, pass it on. Understand the faithfulness of the generations before you and then take it and run. But for the generation now, for those of us that need to pass on to the next generation, we have to understand the call of of Psalm chapter 78 to pass that on to the next generation. I want you to understand in in my life've i've been privileged to experience things like this. Um, I get to coach cross country and track, which are called individual sports, meaning you you can run as an individual you don 't need a team you can run by yourself in the the state cross country meet or the state track meet and you can compete and you can win something by yourself. but if you happen to run with more individuals and all of your individual races can can be total together and you can win a team award. So this is such a great picture of this idea of an individual race but when you start putting it together you can understand, you can accomplish more if you do it together. Now the problem with experiencing things like this, I've become so painfully aware at how temporary things like this are because you win something like this and man it's exciting and there's a rush but it just, it goes away. I mean, it's not long until you're, you, you just gotta replace it with something, and it's like the never-ending thirst that you just can't ever satisfy. What, what do I mean by that? Well, our track team, our four-by-eight team, These are two different years. Look at these pictures. I love these pictures. These are relay teams. Four by 800. Every member of that team runs an 800 meter. They carry a baton around the track and they hand it off to the next guy. And in the top picture, we win. Look how close the race is when it gets to the last guy. Two miles into this thing. Eight minutes and 17 seconds and it comes down to .01. How exciting that moment was when we won. But this year... It came down to .04, and we lost. And by lost, I mean we were second. But we were so disappointed. And I even said, I vocalized, when did becoming second place in the state become a disappointment? Well, because there's that never-ending thirst to be the best. It just reminds us that the things of this world can never fully satisfy. I mean trophies like this are exciting and races like this are exciting but this is not what we live for. But the writer of Hebrews taps into this idea of running in a relay race and every generation has a leg to run and you run with a baton like this and it is so important that we learn to pass on that that truth to the next generation we will not hide these truths from our children we will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord about his power and his mighty wonders so that the next generation might know them even the children not yet born and they in turn will teach their own children so each generation should set its hope anew on God not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands now If you understand anything about a relay race, it's important that in a relay race, you get this baton to the next person so that the next person can run their part of the race. And then all four of you get the reward for what the last guy finishes as. But there's no last guy that ever finishes a race and says, hey, I did it all by myself, no. There's four. In fact, we, we like to take pictures where everybody's hand is on the baton so that we can see everybody had to do their part. And so for us as a generation, we need to make sure that we're taking this baton and handing it off to the generation that's coming after us so they can run their leg of the race. There's nothing worse than hearing this sound. <laughs> nothing. Even at practice, I remember as a high schooler, if we ever dropped a baton in practice, it meant more running. You do not drop a baton. Because if, no matter how fast you are or how good you are, if you don't get this thing in the next guy's hand so that they can run with it, you fail. You fail. I'm gonna ask Madeline to come up here. Because I want us to understand, this is so important. This point and the last point are the most important points for us to have. We have what God has done in our generation in our hand. And we have got to make sure that we can hand it off to that next generation. The church in in Europe is, is pretty much dead because they failed to pass the truths to the next generation and let them run with it. Churches all over America are dying because we refuse to pass this baton to the next generation. We like to tell them about the baton. We like to talk to them about the baton. We like them to admire the baton, but we will not let them take the baton and run the race God has for them. And so what we do is we say, okay, here it is, ready? And we, we do this. Because we're afraid they're not gonna run it right. We're afraid they're gonna do it different than us. We're afraid they're not going to take it seriously. And so then what happens is the church just dies because we don't pass on to the next generation. Thank you very much. What God has done, what we need to pass on are the truths of God's word and who God is. We need to understand that that generation has to compete by the rules but they don't have to run the way we run. I don't know if you've ever watched different athletes run, and there's, I mean, there's a correct running form, but depending on who you ask, there's a different correct form. And I've watched kids that run like this be really fast. I don't know how they do that, and I swear if they would just do this, they'd run faster. (laughs) But hey, it works for them. We have got to make sure that we let go and we pass it on to the next generation. And we become part of that great cloud of witnesses that cheer them on. Run. It's not gonna look like our race, but run, run, run the race God has set in front of you because you're gonna stand on our faithfulness. And those of us receiving the baton from that next generation, don't forget you are where you are because of what they've done. There's a truth there for both generations to really understand and to live out. But we gotta move on. The second thing you're gonna need is focus. And I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this because I feel like I've beat this to death over the last several weeks. We have got to fix our eyes on the author and the finisher of our faith. Hebrews chapter 10 said by that one offering, Christ forever made perfect those who are being made holy. He is the fin- author and the finisher, the beginning and the end. He is the beginning and the perfecter, however you want to say it, whatever your translation wants to say, it's all under the umbrella of Christ's sacrifice for us. And by remembering that he's the author of our faith, it reminds us to keep ourselves in perspective. Does that make sense? Don't think more highly of yourselves than you ought. Your highs will not become too high if you remember that he's the author of your faith so any good thing you accomplish is by the grace of God because he's the author of it okay but it also is important for us to understand he's also the perfecter of our faith because when I fall down under the umbrella of his grace and his mercy sorry I'm gonna move this out I lost my little puffy thing so it's just rubbing on my face a little bit When he is the perfecter of my faith, it keeps me from living in condemnation. It keeps my lows from becoming too low. So I've gotta keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter, keep my highs from being too high, keep my lows from being too low. The third thing we're gonna need is discipline. We're gonna need discipline. The author says, you've got to throw off everything that slows you down, especially the sin that so easily entangles us, so that we can run with perseverance. Remember, we've got to loose ourselves from the temporary things of this life, and if the only thing that you and I are willing to let go of are the sins that so easily entangle us, uh, we're not going to be able to run with perseverance. There is going to come a point in this race where you and I are going to have to let go of some things that aren't sin, quote unquote, but they're slow. Slowing us down they're slowing us down and too many of us hey if it's not sin I can do it and we don't understand why we're not running with perseverance the race that's marked out for us because there's some weights that that God is asking us to lay down he tells us here he uses the word discipline but he uses the word discipline in two different ways. He uses it as a form of a punishment term, but he also uses it as a training term. And if we think of discipline always as punishment, we're gonna miss this. Okay, so the difficulties that we go through in life or the hardships that we experience, or they're not punishments, they're disciplines. They're training us. You know, when we have workouts in track, nobody finishes those and says, uh, you know, I'm sorry that I didn't do well this week and so uh, thank you for punishing us today with this workout. We didn't punish them, we were disciplining them, training them so that they can run better in the future. And so when we come to the word of God, or we go to a Bible study, or we we go to a a church worship service, or, you know, we're in a relationship with someone and we're just being accountable to each other, or we go to a counseling appointment with someone to, to help us, what we're doing is learning to throw off the things that slow us down. We're learning to discipline ourselves to be able to run our race, Those are important things that you and I have to learn. And the writer even goes so far as to say, there's gonna be things that come into your life. There's gonna be difficult moments. There's gonna be betrayals. There's gonna be hardships. There's gonna be things stolen from you. There's gonna be opportunities to be offended. All of these things are gonna come into your life. That does not mean that God is up in heaven saying, Okay, that person uh, really needs to work on this area, so let's have their best friend betray them so that they can learn something from that. God is not the author of that betrayal, but because God knows that that friend is about to betray you, God says, hey, I can use that in their life so that they can become someone who I can trust later on, or that's going to work out fine over here, and so he orchestrates the events of our lives through the free will of other people, through the fallenness of our world, not as the author, but as the filter. And he makes sure that whatever he allows into our lives or filters into our lives, that he also provides the power, the grace, the strength that we need to be able to overcome that thing. And so the writer says, endure hardship as discipline, knowing that it's training you. See, again, we we like to look at life through this little lens of right here. And if you think of eternity. If eternity is the length of this platform from one end to the other, your life lived out on earth is actually skinnier than this. And we look at everything that happens to us in this width here, and we're, we think that that's, it's such a big deal. But God looks down on our lives and says, you know what? I am way more concerned about the rest of this than this. And so I will use everything in your life to make sure to bring you to a place where you are gonna get to say, well done. I'm gonna get to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the reward that you've received. Does that make sense? So use that discipline. The writer of Hebrews is not the only one that says that to us. In Romans chapter five, it tells us we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials because they help us develop endurance. I mean, I don't know who told you about salvation, but maybe someone told you once you get saved, everything's just gonna work out for you and every day's gonna be happy for you and maybe you were disillusioned by that, but you're gonna run into problems and trials, but take heart because they develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation and that hope will never lead to disappointment because we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. James chapter one, James says, brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. You know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. And when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. There's no way to get to be perfect and complete without walking through some level of trial or difficulty. There's no way to get there. And so God allows us to walk through those moments so that we can get there. Please understand, there are times where people, you know, blame the devil for some things they're going through. Um, But, you know, if you rack up an immense amount of credit card debt, and then you're like, oh man, the devil's really after my finances. No, that's just a, a stupid choice, okay? And I, I mean, I've been there, so it's okay for me to say it's a stupid choice. It's a stupid choice. But one of the things that we need to throw off is stupid. Okay, stupid. I mean, because sometimes we just, you know, you know, if you post something stupid on Facebook, don't say that the devil's persecuting you. No, that's just stupid, okay? so. Every hardship and difficulty that comes into our lives, some of it is just a result of our own wrong choices because God said, hey, don't do that, and we did it anyway. The nice thing is, is God comes along when we repent and he helps us clean up the messes we've made, but sometimes there's consequences that come along with that. And so just don't blame the devil all the time, but just throw off stupid, I, I guess, is the best way I can say it. So the last thing, and this is the most important one, is heart, heart. There's a phrase that a few years ago I came across, and I, I love it, it says when your legs are tired, run with your heart. Because in a, in a race, physically, there will always come a point where you're, you're just tired, okay? And you, you have to find something inside of you to make you go beyond what you feel like your body can make you do. Um, you know, you can see it when it looks like everything's lost and all of a sudden somebody just finds a gear and they kick it in and, uh, and they just, they run with heart. I mean, I, I wanted to use the penguins as an illustration today, but because they lost last night, it, wasn't, it, it didn't really fit. But the only place it fits is here because uh, even the penguins in the post-game interview said they played with more heart than we did tonight and every announcer said it and they all said it and it was very, very obvious. I mean, when you play with heart, there's just a level that you come to. The writer of Hebrews says, take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your feeble knees. Now, I don't know if you've ever been tired, but if you go to someone, I don't know, maybe if you came to me for counseling, and uh, uh, you just said, I feel like I'm at the end of my rope, and I don't know what to do, and if my advice back to you was, hey, take a new grip with your your hands, and uh, strengthen your weak knees, okay, thank you, and uh, see, see you later. Uh, if I gave you that advice, I don't know uh, how you'd process that, or what you, you would feel like, well, that's not very good advice, I need something else, uh, but th- what we've got to understand is heart comes from our time with the Father. You don't get heart just by attending church. You don't get heart from Bible studies or accountability groups or counseling sessions. And sometimes we think we do. You know, we run from church to church or we run from counselor to counselor or we run from book to book. We run to all these things because what we're looking for is heart. Now those things will help us with discipline. And those things will help us in other areas. And yes, the writer of Hebrews said, don't forsake coming together, and you gotta stay together and you gotta meet together and you gotta encourage each other. But you can't get heart from another human being. The only place you can get heart from is from your father. And one of the things that we do the least as believers in this country is spend time with our father. And as a consequence, we get weak and we get tired. And we lose heart. And if you today are weary and you are worn, what you need is just time with your father. Now, you still need discipline, and you still need teamwork, and you still need those other things, but above all, you need time with him to strengthen your heart. You know, in Ephesians chapter three, when Paul prays for the Ephesians church, he says, I pray that you would receive through the spirit of God Inner strength. Where do you receive that? From Pastor Tom's sermons, from uh, the book by Brian Jarrett, from uh, the guy you watch on TV. Uh, No, you receive it by the Spirit in time with the Father. In Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says to the church, I pray that you would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Where do you get the the overflow of hope? From upbeat fast songs? No, by time with hope the Father. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, Daniel is talking about the people who are led astray by the deceptive spirits in the end times or in in his day, and he contrasts that with these people. The people who know their God will display strength and take action. They will display strength, people who know their God. Not know about him, but know him. The more time you spend experiencing, encountering, knowing God, the more strength you will begin to display. There's not a secret pill you can take. It's time with our Father. I can't emphasize this enough. Hosea chapter four, verse six. My people are being destroyed because they do not know me. In 1 Samuel chapter 30. King David, before he was king, was in great danger because all of his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk about stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. See, before David ever became anointed as king, do you remember what he did? He spent a lot of time alone with sheep. And in that time with sheep, we know that David communed with God. Time alone with the Father, doing menial tasks. See, David didn't necessarily have a quiet time. David was watching sheep, and in the midst of that, he learned to just communicate with the Father. I'm all for quiet time. I think we all need to have it. I think every day we need to carve out time out of our schedule to read the word, to pray, to spend time with the Father. But you and I have got to learn that we have got to learn daily to just stay in communion with the Father all the time because he's the one that provides heart. When everyone else turns against us, when you don't feel like you have the strength, the only place you're gonna get strength is from the Father. When David stepped into the battlefield and no one would go out and face Goliath, the only person that would go out and face Goliath was David. The last Psalm I wanna share with you is one of the Psalms of David, Psalm 27, the one thing I ask of the Lord. And the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections, meditating in his temple. Okay, David says, you got to understand the house of the Lord for David was the presence of God. That's old covenant. So for you and I, what this means is I want to live in the presence of God not just visit it, not just have it in a church service, not just have it in my quiet time. I wanna learn to live where I feel like, not just feelings, where I live in communion with God, constant, where God is always speaking to me. He's always present. I'm aware of his presence, even if I don't feel it, even if I'm in the most difficult season of my life, I know that God is with me. Even if I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't fear evil because he is with me, where it's not just theology, but it's my practicology because in his presence he will conceal me when troubles come he will hide me. He will become my place out of reach on a high rock. I can hold my head up high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, in his presence, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing, playing, praising the Lord with music. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. See, the reason that David was able to go out onto that battlefield and he had the grace to defeat a giant was because David knew his God. All of that time, he had developed a relationship with the Father and he could trust him. Not only that, the Father knew he could trust David. And so you and I will run to whoever to try to get the strength or the heart that we need. And those people are necessary for discipline, but heart comes from the Father. Heart only comes from the Father. This week, I was listening to a message from uh, someone that I listened to, and uh, he was preaching just about this idea of David and David's tasks, the, the tasks that David would have as king. And how could a king write a psalm like this when, I mean, if you think of the responsibilities that a king has, and how would he have time to spend time in the presence of God? Well, David did, as we see in Scripture, take time to go to the house of the Lord and worship. But David learned to live in constant awareness of the presence of God. So when there was a difficulty, David inquired of the Lord. 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 David learned to live that everything he did, he just looked to the Lord first. That's where his strength came from. That's why David didn't have to kill Saul. That's why David didn't have to kill Absalom. That's why David didn't have to fight his own battles for himself. He allowed the Lord to be his defender because David found his strength in his Lord. If you and I are gonna persevere in our race, we've got to learn to just sit and listen to the Father. We've gotta hear him. We've gotta allow him to speak to us. The thing is, is when we make him our search, when we search for him, there will always be the grace that we need for every task that we have. But if we seek him just for the grace for the task, we may not find what we're looking for. In Hebrews chapter 11, faith is believing God exists and that there is reward for those who diligently seek him. What's that reward? The grace for every task you face. But some of us are just trying to search him for the the grace. I mean, I know that God God gives grace to those who need it, so I'm seeking him for his grace, and we, we get disappointed because we gotta seek him. And in him, there's the grace that we need. What I wanna challenge us with today is to hear what the Father's saying. And some of you I mean, I know we're at the noon hour and I know that we're, we're, some of you maybe have places to go and you've got some things to do, but I wanna challenge you not to leave this room. If you're weary, if you're tired and you need to take a new grip or you need to strengthen your weak knees, can I just challenge you to find a place somewhere in this room where you just sit for a few minutes and just let the Father speak? Just let the Father speak. And I'm, I promise you that's not all you're gonna need for the week, but it's gonna be for what you need right now. Our prayer team is gonna be here in the front too and if you need prayer for something and you haven't been been able to be prayed for yet, we wanna give you that opportunity. But I really feel like today at the end of this service, it's really about just us and God. And I wanna give you the opportunity to spend time just hearing him speak. Letting his love fill your heart to just provide the strength that you need. If you've lost hope, and you need to overflow with hope. Can I tell you, you're only, you need to overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You need strength in your inner man. It comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I wanna invite you to stand. And I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray a prayer of blessing over you. I'm gonna close our service with prayer. And there are gonna be some of you that need to slip away and you need to, to leave. And we're gonna give you the opportunity to do that. Uh, but if you don't need to rush out, Would you take a moment, whether it's here at the front, whether it's at your seat, wherever it is, and just wait on him and let him speak. The prayer team is gonna join me here in the front and we'll be here and available to you if you need prayer. But uh, I, I just, as I prepared for this service, felt like the Lord wanted us to close today just waiting in his presence, allowing him to breathe, to speak. This is one thing we don't do well in our society is just sit and wait. And so give him the time that you can today, whatever time you can, give it to him. And so Father, I just thank you today for your faithfulness to us. You are always faithful. Even when we are unfaithful, you remain faithful to us. Father, I thank you for the testimony of your faithfulness in the lives of the men and women from Hebrews chapter 11. For the men and women who have been a part of this church body for, for years, God, thank you for the faithfulness in their lives as well. God, thank you today that we can stand on their faithfulness. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd help us to understand that, that as a generation receiving the baton or the generation handing it off, God, that you'd help us understand our role, that you'd help us to, to know how to do that well so that we don't drop the baton in this crucial moment of history. Father, I pray that you'd help us to keep our focus on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, that you'd help us to endure the hardships of life as discipline, that you'd help us to gather around us the people that we need as we study your word together, God, to discipline ourselves, to throw off everything that slows us down and the sin that so easily entangles us. But above all, above all, I pray for strength today. God, for those who are just weary in this long race that you have set before us, Maybe it's been just a long time God since they've had a glimmer of hope that there's an end in sight maybe it's been a long time God since they've they've just uh, been able to experience your love in a fresh way. And so Holy Spirit, I pray in this moment that you would cause them to be able to experience your love in a fresh way, that there would be a filling, God, that doesn't come because of, of, the, of, because of me or because of the, the oratory of this message, but God just comes by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so I implore you today, God, to fill them with hope by the power of your Spirit, to fill them with strength by the power of your Spirit. God, to open our eyes today, to see things from your perspective, to give us new hope, new life, to strengthen our weak arms and weak knees. God, to be able to persevere in the race that you set before us. So now, Lord, I ask that you'd bless them. I pray that you'd keep them. I pray that you'd cause your face to shine on them, that you would be gracious to them and that you'd give them peace. Pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Men, if you need to be dismissed, just do it quietly. Let this be a place of prayer for those that can spend a few more moments before they leave. And God bless you as you go today.